Well, I was in the prayer room um, this last week, and I was just reading through what many of us have written on the walls. Uh, and I enjoyed doing that and just seeing what God is kind of putting in people's hearts to express. And, um, and I, I don't, there's a prayer that I've read, and it's been up there, I think, since almost the beginning. And I, it, it, I came across it again this week, and it kind of struck me in a way that uh, I thought I would just be a great way to begin today. So you can throw this up there. And it just said this. Kind of interesting that we just sang about trusting, by the way. Uh, Lord, we trust you and believe in you for the things you will do among us. We thank you for healings and salvations. May we allow your spirit to move among us in a powerful way. Amen. And I just read that and I thought, so simple. I don't know who wrote it, um, but it's just really powerful to me. And I started praying that prayer and I thought that was a good way for us to even begin today that we would continue to grow in that. And you can just leave that up there for just a second. Um, if you're with us Wednesday night, it was a powerful night. Uh, uh, people prayed for things like healings, and people had people intercede over them and pray for them, and some of us were interceding for others, and that we would be filled with the power and the presence of God. And uh, So this morning, I do want to pray. I know we just pray, but I do want to pray, not just read that prayer. I want to pray that prayer together, and, and then we're going to start. Sound, sound good? All right, so would you bow your heads with me? We want to pray this with our whole heart full of faith. Lord, we trust and believe in you for the things you will do among us. We thank you for healings and salvations. May we allow your spirit to move among us in a powerful way. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, as we get into uh, our message today, I want to start with a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, famous 20th century author, theologian. And he says this, he says, the only thing... Christianity cannot be is moderately important. The only thing it can't be is moderately important, which is a, little, a bit of an overstatement probably because obviously Christianity cannot and should not be probably some other things as well, but we get the passion and the purpose in which he was saying the statement in, right? He was saying it, it can't be moderately important. It's got to either be significantly important or not at all. Right? It's got to be like sort of that Revelation 3 passage whenever it says to the church of Laodicea, I want you to either be hot or cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be hot or cold, not moderate, not lukewarm, because it says that God will spit those people who are lukewarm out of his mouth. And he's saying instead that we must be not moderately important but it must be significantly important. And, and, and let's, let's be honest, I think for a lot of us today, even starting with that statement, if, I was, if you were going to let it, if you were going to let it be, it can be incredibly convicting for us. It can be incredibly like, all right, God, Emma, is, is this significantly the most important thing in my life? And, and I think we all face this question and this desire. Uh, how do I consistently live with a passion and a passionate love for Jesus? How do I grow in my passion for Christ and to do the work of his kingdom? And so as we get into this today, I want to remind us of a few things. I mean, we've been talking about Jesus now for a number of weeks and in this series about Jesus that we hope is going to be transformational and even in this idea that it will change everything about everything because that's what Jesus does. And we talked in the beginning that when Jesus came, he announced the kingdom. And he said, I'm the king of this kingdom, and it's a new reality. It's a new day, and I am asking you to come and follow me. And when you come and follow me, you're going to drop everything to come and follow me. So this is like a pretty big call. This is what, starts to do, what he starts to do with the people that are, that are encountering him, is he's calling them to follow him. 
And there was this famous instance when someone said, oh, wait, I want to come, um, but, but can I do it later? I first need to go and bury my father. Seems reasonable. And Jesus said this, and if you don't know the story, he said this. Is, he said, follow me and let, the, and let the dead bury the dead. Which is like this really like harsh moment, it feels like. Can you imagine Jesus saying, oh yeah, you need to bury your dad. Um, let, the, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me now. We read this and we think that Jesus was harsh, but most scholars actually believe a little bit more. There's a little bit more going on in this story than we maybe sometimes can read. Most scholars believe that the guy's dad wasn't actually dead, that he was going to die. And so he's like saying, hey, let me just go be with my dad in his final days, you know, these final weeks, months, maybe even years. And whenever my dad passes and I bury him, I'll come follow you. Which was another way of saying, let me take care of my responsibilities. I have something that I feel like is really important for me to take care of. And when, I, when, I, when I'm willing to, maybe I get past that and I'm willing to make some changes in my life, then I'll come follow you. And so most scholars believe this guy was just making an excuse. And Jesus knew it and he said, hey, let the dead, the spiritually guy, go bury the dead. But if you want to follow me, you come now, you follow me. So Jesus' call was quite dramatic. In other words, this guy was seeing this call of Jesus as, moderately important, right? Today I want to talk about something that is, I know is central to the idea of following Jesus. It's central. It's, it's right at the heart of it. I want to talk about the passion that we're called to live with and the passion that shapes who we are and what we do. And, and we have all these stories of Jesus that we can look at. If, if you really ever want to know how to live, just look at the lives of, life of Jesus Look at the stories and the way he operated and go, okay, like, what does that mean for me now? And Jesus has all these stories throughout the scriptures that are pointing us to this idea of passion. And there's, I could read countless examples of them. I just, you know, I'm just going to show you a couple of them, and then we'll, we'll move into some other things today. But Luke 19 says this, verse 41. He says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept. And he said, if, even, if you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? And so he's approaching Jerusalem and he weeps. And this is, the, this is actually the entrance to Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. This is as he just had been hearing Hosanna, palm leaves waving. He's entering the city, but he knows something, doesn't he? He knows that within a week he's going to be arrested and crucified. But he, yet he weeps over the city, not because of what's going to happen to him, but because of his hurt and his pain and his compassion on the people of the city. That's passion, isn't it? He has so deep seated passion for something. And then on a different type of passion, Matthew 21, he says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying. You know the story, right? He, was, he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. My house will be called a house of prayer, which I love that, by the way. Side note, side note. I don't know about you, but I kind of like angry Jesus. You know what I mean? I kind of like table-turning Jesus, that, the one that's raw and this pure passion. We need, a painting, we need that painting in our little, you know, paintings of Jesus, the one with him just flipping a table over. Nothing moderate about it, nothing halfway or passive. Jesus is not looking for passive passion. Or if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. It'll be on the screen, of course. But I want to, I Jesus was in a conversation with some religious leaders, as he often was, 
which I think we should talk about that sometime. Why are the Pharisees and the religious leaders like always around? Always in the middle of the story with Jesus. So, coming soon. <laughs> Matthew 13, <clears throat> verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. So he tells a parable. BT Dubs, um, by the way, Jesus often spoke in parables, didn't he? And most of us see parables as these little stories, these little analogies that help us understand and help us connect more, right? And, and this one we, I read is, is rather simple, but a lot of parables, if you read them, they're kind of complex, aren't they? They're kind of, they're kind of they can be confusing, and, and a lot of times the disciples would actually come up to him in a confused way and say, can you explain what you meant by all those weeds and seeds and whatever you're talking about, you know, all those treasure names. We don't, we don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. And he would say, he would say oh, are you still so dull? That's what he would say to him, which I love. Um, I'm going to have it on a pillow at my house. But anyway, the, he would say these things, and they would not quite get it. And most, over the years, I've heard a lot of people explain this, like, oh, Jesus used parables. He used parables so people would connect. It's like someone telling a story or someone, someone trying to just connect with, their, with the crowd. This would be like me showing you a photo right now of my dog Brody and telling you a story about Brody, or maybe me showing you some weird picture that's really weird and lame, and you're like, what is that coming from? Or maybe talking about a pink lake in Australia that just blows your mind. It could be that, or it could be something else. Because here's what Jesus was doing. It wasn't some communication tactic of God. He wasn't trying to connect by, oh, I got these stories and cute little fairy tales. No, he was actually trying to thin the crowds. He was actually trying to see who really wanted it. Because every time he'd tell a parable, something would happen. Either you'd be confused and say, and you'd lean in and you'd be like, what are you talking about? Or he'd be like, did he just say that? I'm out of here. Or he'd be like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Think about this one. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it in all of his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Can you imagine someone listening to that for the first time? You think they were like, oh, that is so beautiful, Jesus. They're like, hold on. Are you telling me? Are you telling me the only way that I get the kingdom of heaven is to be willing to give up everything I have? That's what you're saying to me, Jesus. He says, well, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. And the man who found it, it was in great joy, he sold all he had so he can go buy that field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Is the kingdom of heaven like that to you? And so what Jesus did with parables wasn't to connect, it was to thin the crowds. It was to get people who thought it was moderately important to follow him, and that we're looking for people who were passionately interested and desiring and longing to follow him, that understood Jesus would change everything about everything in their life. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah, I think you're with me. You're going to be there if you're not. So Jesus was looking at thin new crowds. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 12, verse 30, if you have a Bible. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, I'm going to read a few well-known verses. I'm going to read the message version in case you're wondering. I usually don't read from that. It's, 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 uh, the message, if you don't know, is it's a paraphrased version in modern-day language, but it's really beautiful, and I love how this is written here. 
says, one of the religion scholars came up. Here we go again with those religious leaders. One of the religion scholars came up hearing the lively exchanges of questions and answers and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers. He put in his question, which I like it. Everybody's like submitting questions to Jesus, like a Q&A, right? And he said this question. He, think he, was, he thought he was going to get them. He said, what is the most important of all the commandments? And Jesus said, the first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God with all of your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. So love the Lord your God with all of your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Now, this is known as the greatest commandment. This is the greatest commandment. We've heard it said what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. By the way, heart, passion, soul, prayers, mind, energy, and then or in, intelligence, energy. Or, you got it. I was just really struggling there. Jesus clearly gave this answer as the central greatest endeavor we must follow. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your passion, with all of your soul, with all of your prayer, with all of your intelligence, with all of your mind and your energy, which is your strength. And I want to do that. I want to live that. And I think most of us want to live that. So this passage brings up all sorts of interesting discussion, and it brings up all sorts of interesting reflection. It should. It, it brings up a lot of things, and one of the things it brings up is a really key question in life. And the question is this. What is most important to you? Which was put down on the screen. What is most important to you? And you're like, okay. Like, I mean, he's, he's, he sat here and said, this is the greatest commandment, and this is a big question. And I believe this has a lot to do with our identity. And I'm going to show you a few slides today. We're going to break this down just a little bit. I hope that you're going to find something today that's going to be very challenging, but also very uh, hopeful and encouraging in this. But if we're going to talk about our identity, it comes down to a couple different questions. It comes down to the questions of who am I and what do I do? And, and, and these two questions are the big questions of, of so many people's life. And, and if we're really honest, whenever we, we get down to really the the, the essence of who we are, the core of who we are, we have these key questions like, what is it that I'm supposed to do with my life? And essentially, who am I? Who am I becoming in my life? And we ask these two questions. They are essential in what makes us tick. And I've talked about this before, but the question of what do I do is this really foundational question in our culture. Because what do people do whenever you walk up to them at a party and you just meet them and you're just saying, oh, hey, hey, small talk, this and that. And then all of a sudden, what do they do? They bring in this question that's supposed to then evaluate your self-value and their value of you. And it's this question, isn't it? So what do you do? And then you go, well, I'm, um, e, uh, and then you try and tell them what you do. And depending on what you say about what you do, you either feel good about what you do or you feel bad about what you do. And then you think they either feel good or bad about what you do. Are you with me now? So much about what we do is rooted to our identity of our own self-worth. And so when someone says, I'm an aerospace engineer and I work for SpaceX, we think, oh, you must be very smart. Which, by the way, there was someone here that went to our church that that's exactly what he's doing. And he is very smart. Or someone says, I have started several successful businesses. And you think, oh, you must be very ambitious. And when someone says, oh, I'm a pastor, you think, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> I told you this a few years ago. I was at a time when I was meeting a guy, right? I was literally meeting a guy for the first time when we were small talking. 
And, and, and I dread the question, what do you do? Because I know it's just like this new relationship is just about to go up like 20 notches or it's going to completely fall apart. And, and I say, well, uh, I'm a pastor and I started a church and, in Oklahoma City. And he goes, and there's this pause. Like, and then he goes, you be you, man. You be you. <laughs> and I'm like, do you do this to everybody? I am an electrician. You be you, man. You be you. So I don't know. We put a lot of value in what we do. So what we do is this. You can go to the next question. Is this. This is our career, right? This is what we do. This is our calling. Actually, after he said, you be you, man, he said, if God has called you to it, then a thousand horses could not keep you from it. And I was like, I think he's quoting scripture at me, but he's not. <laughs> anyway, calling, what God's called you to, maybe what you feel called to in your life, even your gifts, like your abilities, right? Like the things that you feel like you're really good at and like, that's what I do. Like, I'm really good at that. And I find, oh yeah, that's who I am. You know what I mean? Or your interests, like, oh, I really, I just really love, you know, to study this or it really interests me or I really like to give my time to that. And so the things you do are really kind of in this career, calling, gifts, interesting, right? You guys with me? Yeah. But one thing that what you do doesn't answer is who, who I am. Doesn't answer that question, does it? Because who I am is something different. And I want to try and answer that question for us in a way I think Jesus would have answered it. Classic, right? What would Jesus do here? But certainly, I don't know what he'd say, but I'm sure, pretty sure he wouldn't say, well, if you said, who am I, Jesus? He wouldn't say, well, you're a plumber. He wouldn't say, you're a nurse. You're a musician. You're, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't attach what you do to who you are. He wouldn't say, you're a business leader, and oh, well, you're an unsuccessful business leader. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't determine your value and your worth and your identity simply rooted in what you do. In fact, Jesus was asked this, he asked this question of himself to his disciples. Do you remember that? Whenever he said, who do you say I am? He said that question to, to, to his disciples, and Peter answered him. When he said, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then, of course, Jesus said, you've answered, you've answered correctly. He went straight to the core of the identity of Jesus. So what about this who, who am I question? Let's try this one on for size, and, and, and you can go ahead and go to the next slide. What if it was this? Let me just read this to you. I am a child of God, a recipient of unearned grace and unending love. And I'm a follower of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the only begotten Son of our Heavenly Father, who is the creator of the world, also known as the Great I Am, the, all, the Alpha, the Omega, Abba Father, Wonderful, the Almighty, Healer and King. That's who I am. How do you feel about that? I want to show you something. You can go to the next slide. So we talk a lot about purpose and passion in life. And, and I wonder if my passion, if it was about who I am, and if my purpose was about what I do. See, this is what I'd say they should be, but I think we often get them backwards. And what I mean by that, so many think that our passion is supposed to be about our purpose, and our purpose is supposed to be our passion. We get them backwards. We think that we're supposed to be passionate about our job and purposeful about our faith. Are you with me? 
We think that the Great Commission is about purpose more than it is about passion. But the Great Commission, for example, is more about passion and who we are and who he is than it is about the purpose of what we do. And you're like, hold on, I thought it was about what we do. It is, but listen, because I want us to be passionate and purposeful in our faith and our jobs. But let me, let me, let me say it this way. You can put the next slide up. We think we are supposed to be, and I'm going to give you a lot of statements today. I hope that's okay. If you like to take notes, it might be easier just to take pictures. <laughs> um, we think we are supposed to be passionate about what we do. But when we are passionate about who we are, it changes everything about what we do. Are you following? Are you with me? So if you find yourself saying, ah, man, I'm just really not feeling a great passion for my job right now. If I'm really not feeling a great, I'm struggling in my career because it's not my passion, which I've heard these statements a lot. I would say that you probably have a crisis of identity because you're trying to find your passion and your purpose. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You're trying to find your passion and your purpose, but your purpose isn't where your passion is. Your purpose is supposed to fuel your passion. Or excuse me, your passion is supposed to fuel your purpose. Are you following me? Are you following me? Because I want to make sure you're following me. Because this is actually really confusing because people get it backwards all the time. I just got it backwards when I said it. <laughs> people get this backwards all the time. I'll never forget when Addie, my, when she was four years old, we were driving in the car and she goes, she goes, did you know that trees are made of paper? And I go, you mean paper is made from trees? She goes, that's what I said. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, close, but not quite right. And this is what we do. We think, that's what I'm saying, right? I'm, I'm, I'm being passionate about my purpose. And per Listen, next, next slide. If our ultimate desire is to find our purpose, what happens when you do? Meaning, what happens when you find that job you've always wanted? What happens when you are finally living into those gifts that God has you? Here's what happens. I'm just going to answer it for you. Next thought you realize something is still missing. Because if, if you're looking for your purpose, and that is your ultimate desire, is to fulfill this passion within your purpose, something's still going to be missing. So next slide. Your purpose is incredibly important and fulfilling. It's just better when you have your passion right. And if you're like, oh, that's really good, Tim, but um, I'm a little confused and I thought we were talking about Jesus. Well, we are. <laughs> um, we, can't we can't treat Jesus like he's our purpose before our passion. If you ever go into prayer or you ever go to read the Bible or you ever go to church or you ever love try and love your neighbors and it feels like a job, it feels like a responsibility, you've made Jesus your purpose and not your passion. You see what I'm saying now? You see that I, I, I feel like a lot of us find ourselves in the category of making Jesus our purpose and not our passion. So next, next slide. Last one here for a minute, at least. Are you trying to find passion in your purpose? Purpose is essential, but passion for Jesus is the barometer by which your life will be filled. And what I mean by that is within your family, your work, your ministry, your soul, your relationships, you know the whole idea that Jesus, he has come to give us life to the full. The place that he fills our life the most is when we understand that what we're supposed to be passionate about 
It's actually the thing that fills us, not the things that are supposed to be purposeful because our passion fuels our purpose. I know this is a little confusing, but let me just say it with this way. It's a passion-driven life. No offense to Rick Warren. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. Some of you are like, what? He wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life, sold like 30 million copies. Um, there's like tens of people listening to this one about passion-driven life, so we'll see what happens. I might call him. I don't know. So let me take you back to the first question, and then maybe this will make, I know it makes sense, but maybe this will actually impact your heart today. The, the, the first question was this. What is most important to you? Your passion or your purpose? I have 20 conversations to one about purpose. <laughs> maybe 100 to one about purpose. As a pastor, I have so many conversations about purpose. What am I doing? What is my career? What is my, you know, you get it? And every one of them, I'm like in the conversation understanding it because I've been the same person worried about my purpose, but not following the simple greatest commandment of all, to love the Lord your God with all of your passion and prayers and intelligence and strength to pursue Jesus and who I am and understand everything about who he is and understand that if I could actually let that be my passion, that if I would actually pursue that with everything that I am, that it might perhaps change everything about everything about what I do. And then you know what? My passion would fuel my purpose to where then the things that I do, although they're important, they would be dictated and they would be shaped by my passion for Jesus. And when I say this, it sounds so classic. Oh yeah, passion for Jesus. We're just talking about living a passionate life. But I just told you, I have a hundred conversations to one, and I may be exaggerating, but I don't think I'm exaggerating by much, that I don't have very many people coming to me and say, Tim, can we meet? Because you know what? I just want to be passionate for Jesus and it'll shape everything about everything. No, I don't have those conversations. And that's not a critical thing. That's just the culture we live in because where do we find our, our value and our worth? I already said, told you. Where do we find it? You go to a party. What do they say? Do they say, who are you? I want to know more about your identity. Can you tell me who you are? And you're like, oh, I'm a child of God. Recipient of unearned grace and unending love. No, no, no. They don't ask that. They ask, what do you do? And so we live in a culture that continues to shove that down our throats in such a way that we then continually trying to find our passion in what we do and we find ourselves living dissatisfied lives because our job doesn't align with our passion but i'm telling you get your passion right and everything else seek the kingdom first what does it say and all those things we're worried about everything be added to you everything be taken care of For a lot of us, what we do is most important to us. So if I'm gonna ask you the question, what is most important to you? I'm just gonna ask you, is it your passion or your purpose? And I love purpose. I like to get up in the morning, know what I'm doing. I love having a job. Well, in my case, it's in ministry, but it's a job still where I know what I'm doing. And I'm purposeful about it. And I know a lot of you are that way too. I'm not, I'm not, not trying to devalue purpose 
but I'm trying to elevate a passion for Jesus. And I just want to encourage us today with that. I want us to remember who we are. So who are you? Let me just put this back on the screen. Maybe it'll, you know, it's just that we could write a million different things about our identity in Christ. But this is what just happened to be what I wrote for today. I'm a child of God, a recipient of unearned grace and unending love, and I'm a follower of Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of my faith, the only begotten Son of our Heavenly Father, who is the creator of the world, also known as the Great I Am, the Alpha, the Omega, Abba Father, wonderful, the Almighty Healer and King. That's, that's who I am. You know, we're going to spend a moment, um, and there'll be some space, and I, I just want to encourage you to to read that. They're just going to leave that up for a while, even as the song begins in a moment. Maybe just receive something out of that today. Maybe hear something from the Lord in that for you today. But but I just, I, I don't know. You know, I, I thankfully, I'm going to say this, you know, where this even comes from is I spent the better part of this month just asking the Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? And, 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 and this kept coming up, and I said, God, would you give me a word? And about three weeks ago, the guy gave me a word, and it was this. It was that path or purpose does not equal passion. And, and I was like, okay, what does that mean? And I've just been sitting with it, and I've been having conversations about it. And, and, and where it got to was, man, we just need our church. We need myself. We, all of us need to just be reminded to grow in our passion for Jesus that we're getting tripped up by all the things in life and all the pressures and all the things that we think bring us value. But Jesus said something really simply when he asked, what is the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your passion, with all of your prayers, with all of your intelligence, with all of your energy. Love the Lord with everything you got. Seek his kingdom first, which by the way, his kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when you find that kingdom, it's like, oh, and your great joy, you'd be willing to sell everything you had for it. Nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, after we pray, that slide will stay up. And I, I want to encourage you to just let us sit with you for a minute. Would you bow your heads? In a moment, the altar will be open. Our prayer team will be here. And, and, and listen, we've been praying. We've been praying really honest prayers around here praying for thresholds to be broken praying for times like this that people would encounter the word of God and it would transform us that people would come and seek prayer for the needs in their life and maybe I'm talking today about passion and purpose and the greatest commandment and the scriptures that we're being confronted with today you think about your own relationship with God. Um, let me just ask you a really quick, clear question. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? Has you, have you made Jesus Lord of your life? You know, the scriptures say that no one can come to the Father, no one can come to the kingdom except through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. 
It's through him because he's God's son and he came to save the world and he's offering that gift of salvation to you. And today, I want to ask you, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Do you want to make him your passion? And if you just be honest and bold right now, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, just lift your hand where you're at right now. If you want to do that. We ask this question and, and I'm always just saying, hopeful that someone will be responsive to maybe what the Spirit's saying to them. If you want to give your life to Jesus, just lift your hand wherever you're at right now. And then the second question I'd ask is, who in here feels like maybe they get it backwards sometimes? Maybe you feel like you're supposed to find your passion in what you do, but first you realize today that you need to make sure you're being passionate about who you are allow the passion of Jesus to rise up in you and allow that to change everything about everything. Is there anybody in here that's like, yeah, that's me. I've, I'm there. Just lift your hand. Yeah. It's good. Well, Father, I pray, I pray for us as a church and as a people that God, we would, uh, we would grow in our passion and who we are in Christ. And although in many ways this message has been done before in a lot of different ways, I, I was com convicted with it as if it was brand new for me. That I would, that I, and I, and I pray that every others in this room are feeling the same way, that I, Lord, have made, have made the idol of my career, the idol of my even calling, to be my God, to be my center of my attention and my passion, and I haven't made you always that. So God, may we return to the love that we have had for you in the beginning, that Lord, we would see you as our Savior and as, as the one and only true um, object of, that's worthy of our worship and worthy of our of all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, God. May, may, we, may we declare that today and may we pursue you accordingly. Because like I said in the very beginning, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. And so, Father, I pray that we are neither, we are neither, we are neither lukewarm nor cold, but, Lord, we are hot, hot with passion for your Son, Jesus, for the move of your Spirit, for the love of the Father. We pray this in your name. Amen.